a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. I just learned something interesting. You and I together will have to keep an eye on this. It is expected, or it's at least possible, that President Donald Trump could unveil a set of proposals for policing reform as early as Thursday. This is according to NBC News, and they are sourcing two unnamed senior administration officials. The package could include both legislative and executive measures, so proposals for law, which would require uh, the partnership of Congress to pass, and then executive measures, changes to rules and such uh, in the executive branch of government. And specifically, specifically, the proposals could include uh, databases that track police officers with multiple instances of misconduct, also changes to policing tactics. Again, that is the uh, word delivered by NBC News through a senior administration official. Uh, And one thing that is pointed out is that there is no consensus on proposing a ban on chokeholds. So keep an eye on that. Uh, And if it it breaks on Thursday, you and I will gather right here to talk about all the details. Again, this is a, a possible proposal coming from the White House as early as Thursday regarding proposals and reforms which could be uh, supported by President Trump in the law enforcement sphere. That's interesting. We'll keep an eye on that come Thursday. uh, Maybe we'll have some information to report there. In the meantime, though, I've got to talk to you about something that happened to me last night. So I'm sitting on the couch uh, here in my home. I got my beautiful wife is with me and baby Piper. We just put her to bed. And I pull out the phone and I'm scrolling around and I see from the World Health Organization that in a press conference, it was announced by uh, one of the epidemiologists who worked there for the World Health Organization that asymptomatic transmission of the coronavirus is very rare. Here's a clip of uh, Dr. Kirkhove last night explaining countries uh, as they find that asymptomatic cases uh, through contact tracing are relatively rare. In a number of countries, when we go back and we discuss with them, one, How are these asymptomatic cases being identified? Many of them are being identified through contact tracing. And so which is what we would want to see, in that you have a known case, you find your contacts, they're already in quarantine, hopefully, and some of them are tested, and then you you pick up people who may have asymptomatic or no uh, symptoms or even mild symptoms. Dr. Kirkhove continued. We have a number of reports from countries who are doing very detailed contact tracing. They're following asymptomatic cases, they're following contacts, and they're not finding secondary transmission onward. It's very rare. And lastly, she wrapped it up this way. We are constantly looking at this data, and we're trying to get more information from countries to truly answer this question. It still appears to be rare that an 
asymptomatic individual actually transmits onward. Now, that was what we were left with last night. That was the information delivered by the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization. You know, regardless of your politics, uh, regardless of whether or not you agree with President Trump that the United States should or shouldn't be contributing money to the World Health Organization, they still are viewed as an authority on these matters. They are likely one of the best positioned organizations to look comprehensively at the world and determine whether or not we're doing things right, we're doing things wrong, if there are new angles we should be observing this coronavirus at. If we can't trust the World Health Organization, who can we trust? All right, I'm, I'm off on a tangent. Let me reel it back a little bit and remind you what you just heard from this Dr. Kirkova a moment ago. She said that she said that asymptomatic transmission of the coronavirus is very rare. Do you realize that it is the transmission of the coronavirus by the asymptomatic that has for the most part built our policy? It is that understanding that has uh, led us to be wearing masks where we can't practice good social distancing. It's what has led us to engage in the, the social distancing, all the working at home. It's why students uh, were not in the classroom for the second half of this, of this school year. It's the reason why I'm sitting in the guest bedroom now for three months running broadcasting this program. And now the World Health Organization says, oh, yeah, asymptomatic transmission of the coronavirus. It's very rare. Well, guess what? That didn't last long. This morning, same uh, doctor gets on Facebook and has this to say. Sometimes when you go back um, and you, you talk about a population or you say a little bit, um, some, not all, because there is asymptomatic infection, some have some mild disease. And so it may not, they may not quite register that I'm sick. You know, it's, I just feel a little bit unwell. I'm just a little bit under the weather. I'm feeling a little bit fatigued. Um, and some of those individuals um, we would classify as pre-symptomatic, which means they have not yet developed symptoms. Um, so we know from some of the viral shedding studies from some of the lab work that there are people who are infected with COVID-19 that can, that can be PCR positive, that can test positive one to three days before they develop symptoms. And that's something that we've known for, for quite some time now. What we need to better understand, and this is one of the major unknowns, is, is what proportion is that is contributing to transmission. So not an apology, not a we got it wrong, not a we misspoke, uh, but just gobbledygook doctor talk. Uh, and we're supposed to, from that, extract uh, the fact that what they said yesterday in very clear terms is, in fact, not true. That now there is a prevalence of transmission amongst those who are asymptomatic. Maybe Trump's right. Maybe we shouldn't be shoveling money towards the World Health Organization. Because they're not communicating very clearly to us. And this information is crucial. You know, there are some areas in life where you can make mistakes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sometimes uh, you're going two or three miles over the speed limit. Oh, better back it off. And you know, maybe you forget to lock the front door. You come home, you realize, oh my gosh, I was gone for six hours and the door was unlocked. Oh, well, got away with that one. Yeah, well, there are some areas in life and there are some areas of expertise and professionalism where you cannot make mistakes. And when you are entrusted with the information or the delivery of information with which the world crafts its healthcare policy, you don't get to make mistakes. 
and you shouldn't be presenting information in a way that causes us to doubt. It's not fair. It's not right. And I hope something's done about it. I'd like trust to be restored in this organization, or else I'd like to find a new organization in which I can place my trust. In the next segment, we're going to be speaking with a friend of mine, Dr. Stephen Mobley. We're going to talk about just this very issue, the World Health Organization making this announcement and then that announcement and walking it back and who knows what. We're also going to be talking uh, about a theme which has uh, recurred during our weekly conversations together, and it has to do with uh, the cancellation for a time of those elective procedures. You know, some of those elective procedures which were canceled postponed for a time were cancer screenings. Well, there's some new numbers out that just show the magnitude of how many cancer screenings may have been missed or how many cancers may have been missed. That's coming up on Live Mike. We're also standing by potentially for a press conference revolving around the arrest of Chad Daybell. That is expected soon. As soon as it starts and we have that established, we will bring it to you live here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. In just a moment, we'll be speaking to my friend, Dr. Stephen Mobley. But first, I want to tell you that it is expected soon a press conference in Idaho, hosted by the Rexburg Police Department and the FBI, holding a press conference on the arrest of Chad Daybell and the issuing of a search warrant on his property. Uh, and, and in fact, right now, I'll bring you uh, KSL News Radio's Kara Hoffelmeyer, who joins me uh, with some breaking news on this front. Kira, what's going on? Lee, we're just learning that police in Rexburg have confirmed that human remains have been found on Chad Daybell's property. Our partners at KSL are up there. Paul, Paul Nelson is on the way. Chad Daybell was taken into custody earlier today, and local police, as well as the FBI, have been serving a search warrant there. And reporters said that they watched police dig holes in the backyard. Lori Vallow Daybell, Daybell's wife, is currently in jail because she hasn't been able to show the courts that her kids, JJ and Tylee, are all right kids were last seen in September, but as far as we know, police in Rexford are saying that human remains have been found in that backyard, Lee. Kira, thank you. Heartbreaking development. You still hold on to every ounce of optimism you can, but uh, this story, as it has progressed, has looked bleaker and bleaker and bleaker as the days and developments have gone on. It's still expected that we will tune into a press conference here shortly, hosted by the Rexburg Police Department and the FBI. Uh, and we will oh, actually, in fact, it turns out that we will uh, bring you a recorded version of that uh, in, in just a moment. Uh, in, in the meantime, though, let me turn my attention to 
this conversation surrounding the World Health Organization. Dr. Mobley, sir, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Lee. Great to be back on the program, uh, carbon monoxide-free with our inside joke. I can't believe it, right? Yeah, so yesterday, if uh, you know, for the, the very astute listener, uh, we, we missed out on, on your expertise, and that was because you and your home, you had a little scare, but all is well on your front? Yeah, we had a, uh, a water heater installation that led us to being awoke in the middle of the night with uh, dangerous levels of carbon monoxide in our house, but all is back in order. But it did take me out last week, so I apologize for not being able to join you. No, that's all right. Uh, I'll, let's move on to this World Health Organization stuff. I, I'm a layman, uh, but I'm reading this last night, and I see that asymptomatic transmission of the coronavirus is very rare. That's what the World Health Organization said uh, last mm-hmm. night. And my layman brain, the wheels start turning, and it strikes me. Hold on a second the opposite of that assertion is what has led to all of our policy decisions in you know across the globe that's why we're wearing the masks that's why we're social distancing and i thought to myself oh my gosh if all along this has been one big error if everything that we have done if the sacrifices that we have made uh, across so many sectors of our lives uh, you know social uh, work-wise familial uh, economic if this has all been uh, based on on bad information man and then this morning, the World Health Organization pipes up and says, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, you can still pass it around. It's a little bit. Anyway, what's your reaction to all this? As you uh, are exposed to all of this from the World Health Organization, how does it strike you? Well, I think that for, for your listeners to understand is a lot of this comes from the practice of contact tracing. So let's say a patient shows up in a doctor's clinic and tests positive for covid and then you, and maybe we're not doing this as effectively in America, but in some countries with more centralized healthcare, they start going back and saying, okay, who did you come in contact with? Where did you get this from? So they're working backwards to the source, right? Who is the source mm-hmm. case if you're the doctor with the patient in front of you? Who, who got my patient infected? And what they're finding is when they work through the contact tracing back to the source case, that that source case was usually somebody who was obviously symptomatic, right? So if the, mm-hmm. if the most common result is to find somebody who is symptomatic, then they're sort of taking the counterintuitive, you know, deductive reasoning that an asymptomatic person is much less likely to pass on your infection. So like so many times we talk about every Tuesday, but this just goes into the, there's a lot about this virus we don't know. And whether you're more conspiratorial or an optimist or somewhere in between, maybe this tells us that maybe it's not as scary in terms of the asymptomatic carriers passing it on to us. It seems that most people who get it can trace it back to somebody who did have symptoms. But this is, you know, brand information, less than 24 hours old, so it's it's definitely still developing. Is, is it reasonable for me to be frustrated and upset, uh, or should cooler heads prevail? Should I just sit back and wait for, a, you know, a better understanding of this and that, uh, or is it possible that all of our sacrifices have been made in vain? I think it is possible. It's, it's sort of a it's a non-optimist point of view, but it is frustrating, and and we just we get different information all the time. Remember face masks in the very beginning? They said mm-hmm. we didn't need them, and then you had to have only the N95 respirator style, and then any face mask would work, and then a cloth covering. So yeah, I think that I think from whether you're looking at the World Health Organization on an on an international level or our own CDC. Definitely our leaders have not given us very clear messaging on what really they know scientifically, and I think that's the problem. We're being told to follow the science, but the science seems to change every several days and sometimes changes 180 degrees from what they told us just a few days ago. And I remember in the in the early days of this when there was so much confusion. While there is confusion now, uh, let's remember a few months ago there was even more confusion and speculation. 
And it was my, the, the advice that I was giving and the advice that I was following myself is, listen, let's find our North Star here, and the science will be our North Star. Let's look to organizations like the CDC, like the World Health Organization, and it's just killing me now uh, to look back and think back at that advice that I gave and that I followed uh, when maybe, may, maybe, maybe I was off. Anyway, uh, we yeah. can leave that alone and let the data on this one shake out, and hopefully, uh, you know, these sacrifices haven't been uh, in vain. I do want to talk uh, about a theme that you and I have discussed a number of times, and it is uh, the, the idea that in the midst of, uh, say, a, a halting of elective procedures and such like that, that there may have been some diagnoses that were missed, some very consequential diagnoses to the lives of so many. Yeah. Well, I think it was probably the very first or second time you invited me on your program. This was one of the topics I wanted to get out there because in my history of being in Utah for 18 years, I've done some radio with you back in the early days and some local TV as well. And one of my advocacy positions has always been if we just kind of follow general health preventive guidelines, we can all live longer, healthier lives. And a big part of that is if you're a woman, it's getting your mammogram. If you're a gentleman, it's getting your prostate. If for all sexes, it's getting a colonoscopy at age 50. All of these preventative measures we do across society save thousands and thousands of lives every year. And again, on one of my first appearances with you, that was a concern that I brought up, is how many elective important screenings are being delayed and how dangerous could this be? Well, a study just came out, and they they did the math for uh, us and your listeners, but they're looking at up to 80,000 diagnoses of the most common cancers, that's breast, <sighs> prostate, colon, cervical, and lung, may have been missed or delayed from simply three months of more or less shutting down our healthcare elective system. So... If you're listening right now and you fought, if you're a woman that's forgot a mammogram, if you're a gentleman that hasn't got his prostate checked and you're over 50, call your primary care doctor and get in because cumulatively this is very negative for society as a whole. This is a whole lot of people walking around potentially with undiagnosed, easy-to-treat things that we don't want to let progress. Not to be hyperbolic, but what does a three-month delay in diagnosing certain cancers mean? Well, it's, it's just you take all those people. It's, it's the thousand people who didn't go into the doctor, and you sort of kick them down the street three months. At the same time, doctors are backed up. We're backlogged. We're trying to get everybody in. So maybe they're, maybe they're delayed four or five months. And so you had some small something going on in your mm -hmm. prostate or your colon that now is a more advanced something that maybe is more dangerous to your long-term health. You missed it early. Now you're going to catch it when it's larger. And so that's the problem with, with missing all of these screening tests. Well, let's People play some catch-up. Let's see what we can do. And get in. 100%. Uh, Dr. Mobley, I'm so sorry our time has expired. I'd love to sit here chatting with you even longer, but that's going to be it for today. Again, Dr. Stephen Mobley, MobleyMD.com, good friend of mine, helping us understand everything going on around us. Thanks again. Thank you, Lee. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I've been asking a question throughout the day, and it is this. Is the country spiraling out of control? I want to know what you think. I've got some strong thoughts on that. Uh, as well, we are looking to get the details from this press conference hosted by the Rexburg Police and the FBI. That's all ahead on Live Mike.